Hi, this is Kristen Cabrera, reporter-producer from the Texas Standard. One of the coolest things about working on the show is getting to tell stories from my community, like this one I did on high school UAL Mariachi. But you know, this is Texas. You'd be hard-pressed to go a week without hearing. Dun-dun! Listen anytime to the Texas Standard, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there, you're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives and give us a glimpse into their creative process. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode of This Song, we'll be hearing from Alex Scally of Beach House. But before we get started, I want to remind you that the Austin Chronicles Best of Austin poll is happening now through September 4th. And we here at Team This Song, well, we would love your vote for Best Podcast. KTX, the radio station where we make this podcast, would also love your vote for Best Radio Station. So I'll post a link to the poll on the show notes page for this episode at KUTX.org. Or if you're in the Apple Podcasts app, you can find them when you click episode notes. Like, I literally just found out that that was a thing. You don't have to live in Austin to vote, but you can only vote once. So thanks in advance. And now to Alex Scally from Beach House. Beach House is a duo out of Baltimore. Victoria Legrand is the other member. And Alex and Victoria... Well, they've been making music together since 2004, and they've become known for playing what many people call dream pop because it sounds like dreamy. They use synths and guitars and vocal layering to make music that like envelops you in sound. And for me, at least, succeeds in taking me someplace else when I listen to it. Here at KUTX, We are big Beach House fans. We dig them so much that we asked them to play one of the shows for our KUTX fifth birthday concert series. Our station is five years old and we're celebrating with shows and events all year. They played at the end of July and our next birthday party will be with Jason Isbell this Saturday, August 25th at Bass Concert Hall. So yeah, Beach House helps celebrate our birthday. We're Beach House fans. We've been playing their just-released seventh record, aptly named Seven, here at the station. And recently I got to talk to Alex in advance of them coming to town about a moment in a song that reframed the way he saw music. Yeah, I was, uh, I got into Bob Dylan in high school, early high school, you know, like maybe like age 13 or 14. And I think probably the first couple songs I heard were like, the times they are changing. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone Or like a Rolling Stone, you'd hear on oldies radio sometimes. How does it feel to be without And I remember just being like really into how different it sounded than other things on the radio. You know, his voice sounded insane and he was singing these, all this cool, weird poetry. 
So I, uh, I remember going and getting Highway 61 Revisited, which is the album with like a Rolling Stone on it. And I loved it. I thought it was an insane album. You know, I probably like smoked weed and just like tripped out on Bob Dylan's journey. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I kind of started to progress from there. And I got Blonde on Blonde, and, uh, which is another from that same era. And um, I was listening to the whole record, getting really into it. And I remember the final song on the record is Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. And it's kind of a 3-4 ballad. Um, and it starts out, and it's so beautiful. It's, it's this kind of descending chord progression. And there's a harmonica playing a kind of like melancholic melody over it. And as soon as he starts singing, in the first line, he hits a really bum note. With your mercury mouth in the missionary times. And I remember this distinct feeling of hating that he hit that note. And in my mind thinking, why did he do that? Why did he leave that in there? Here he has this beautiful ballad this beautiful song, why would he leave this like horrible note in it? And, and it, it just like almost infuriated me. Like it was like, I would love this, this song could be perfect if he had just done it right or so. You know, that was kind of like my reaction when I was 13 or 14. And I just kept listening to the record as, you know, you do when you're young and you obsess over things. And your flesh like silk like, I don't know how many times it took, but at some point, and I don't know why, I only realized it years later in retrospect, I, I started like, I started loving the bad note. And I started loving that he left an imperfection in. And that it was this strange, obtuse, imperfect thing rather than this perfect thing. And um, it was kind of like years later that I realized that, that that maybe was the beginning of a whole side of aesthetic that my brain went down. With a sad at prophet says that no man comes. I used to bike home from my job, and I, if I biked really fast, I could get home by the time the song ended. Uh, so I would just put that song on my CD player, my portable CD player, and um, try to get home before it ended. And I just, I just, I had like a total like love affair with that with that song. It was almost like I had to sit there and listen to it a million times to understand it. Um, and I guess, I guess I'm just lucky that I did, or that I liked enough of the other songs to get brought into it. You know, like, so, I think so many people are obsessed with perfection. You know, when you hear a lot of pop music, every, every hair is in place, everything has been shaved and waxed, and, you know, it just, it just sounds and it sounds quantized and all this stuff like that. You know, it's just, everything is just put in this place. And, and I think that like listening to that song and make it, like having myself 
fall in love with it against my will was like the beginning of me liking errors. You know, that, that paved the way for loving Velvet Underground, for loving punk music, for loving outsider music. For, you know, it's just like, it, it, I realized that it was like kind of like a necessary step in the long evolution of, of loving things that aren't perfect. And in, in this age of digital music, especially, like yeah, yeah. things can be all the errors can be taken out so easily. Um, and it's something that a lot of people like, obviously, or else people wouldn't do it. But what do you think? What do you think it was about you and your personality that that had that attraction to imperfection in music? Well, well, that's the thing. Like, I, I'm not so sure if it is something everybody likes. I think it's like people like their fruit or whatever to look really perfect. Like it's like like um, wax fruit, you know, but that's not the healthy, you know, when something grows in, in a like healthy, organic, natural manner without pesticides, it, it won't be perfect like that. You know, it's like I think it's a, a flaw in the human brain. The body shapes we idolize aren't the natural shapes of our bodies, you know. Um, the, the, there's something in our brains where we're always seeking a perfection that's not real, you know. Um, and it's, uh, but, it, it's a, but it's natural. It's natural to seek that unnatural thing because all humans kind of tend towards it. It's interesting when you talk about like that idea of, of learning to love imperfection and kind of like... Um you know, taking the focus out to more than just music, like how it's just something that people kind of do. Like we seek an ideal as opposed to trying to like love the natural and, and the reality of things, which is that like people are imperfect and good fruit is has spots on it. And that sometimes, you know, a bum note is like what makes a song as opposed to what ruins it. Or it, yeah, or at least it just gives it some sort of characteristic that makes it feel like it's real. In the computerized age, the digital age with music, everything feels so reproducible um, and inhuman to me. Like a lot of times when I'm listening to music, and I'm not trying to be like curmudgeonly old guy here because I actually like a lot of new music and I think there's a lot of great creativity out there everywhere all the time and I'm not one of those people who's going to like pin pin the past as some sort of like high water mark for awesomeness or something like that but um you know all music is so quantized now it's all on a grid on computers and the sounds are are digital in nature and um just that, like the things making them whether they be like a synthesizer or whatever whatever it is it, it just all feels so Generic might be too strong of a word, but generic is the is the word that comes to mind the most. So, like the second you introduce an error into something, it, it feels like it can't be done again, or done by anyone, or or easily reproduced. You know, it, it's like a fingerprint or something like that. Now, beach house, they often use found equipment, like 
pianos they found on Craigslist or old organs, though Alex's love of errors didn't necessarily inform the band's instrument choice. There's no like political statement to it at all. It's really just like those are the things we like the sound of, um, just kind of like the things we naturally are drawn towards. Um, and part of it is because a lot of those the instruments that we founded the band on and the, the sounds, the keyboard sounds, part of the reason we were inspired by them is because we hadn't heard them a million times in music, you know, um, like the Hammond B3, you've, you've heard it in 5,000 songs. You hear it in all over Highway 61. You know, you hear, you hear the clavinet all over every Stevie Wonder song. You know, like the Fender Rhodes is, is the 70s. We were finding sounds that, when we went to play them, didn't instantly make us think of a record we grew up listening to, you know, because we f that was a, that, there was an open door there to creativity, because it didn't instantly reference something that existed already. On this new record, you guys kind of expanded how you normally approached records. And it sounds like it, you did allow yourself a little more freedom and openness in, in how you recorded it. Yeah, yeah, totally. We, we built like a little studio in our practice space. So um, it was just really cool because like as we'd be like writing and jamming, coming up with ideas, we would just be able to start the song like right there and then. Um, so a lot of what you hear on the record is just... Um, just us writing the song, you know, it, it isn't us writing it and then having to reproduce it later in the studio. So actually there are a lot of, a lot of errors on the record. We use a lot of vocals that were recorded in our practice space that were kind of like scratch vocals. We ended up using a lot of them. Um, but if you listen to the song Lankanu, uh, at one point in the song, Victoria just goes like, woo, 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 you know, and that's just like, she's just like making noises into the microphone. You know, like something like uh, in Lemon Glow, during the bridge, uh, there's these distorted guitar and keyboard pings that are going back and forth. And like those were just like, you know, just coming up with an idea and they're all out of tune and they're weird bends and they're out of time. And, um, but it just had this feeling that was not going to be reproduced. So it's on the record, you know, we had to use it because we're not gonna get that feeling back.
like not being afraid of that kind of error it has helped us a lot, you know, feel excited about creativity. And this is Lemon Glow from Beach House's new record, Seven, a song that celebrates errors rather than trying to correct them. And if you want to hear the entire record, well, Beach House has like this experience. It's like a web-based visualizer where you can listen to the songs on the record and trip out to these cool visuals. I will post a link to that on the show notes page for this episode. I'll also post a link to their tour dates. They're going to be in the States through the end of this week. Maybe you want to go see them. And as always, I'll have a Spotify playlist there so you can hear all the songs we referenced in this episode all the way through. And Alex, he's not the first artist to talk about Bob Dylan's sad-eyed Lady of the Lowlands on this podcast. George Lewis Jr., otherwise known as Twin Shadow, also talked about how that song changed his life, and I'll post a link to that episode, too, in case you need a little more Dylan in your day. And hey, if you have a story about a song or a musical experience that changed your life, we'd love to hear it. We're putting together an episode of Listener Stories, and we're asking listeners to record their stories on a voice memo and email it to us at thissong at kutx.org. We can't wait to hear your story. And that's it. You've come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own hard proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained Live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.